0: welcome to the net effects podcast where Les Ottolenghi and Mark Bavasoto break down how the fortune 500 the hottest startups and the best VCS succeed through digital social and personal transformation and now here are your show hosts mark Bavasoto and Les Ottolenghi
1: Atticus thank you so much for joining the net effects podcast we're so honored to have you on the program and we always love to kick off the podcast talking about yourself more importantly the question that we have is the name Atticus Tyson what is the origin that name came from
2: well I'm named uh as you might imagine after Atticus Finch from To Kill a Mockingbird so uh
1: an amazing character I think in
2: literature and that's the origin that is
0: awesome how did your your parents had an affection for the writer or the story not to dig too personal but just to get (laughs) it I mean that that's an amazing name and I love it and it's an amazing background but were, were they particularly affectionate about that story?
2: Well, you know, I, I don't always talk about this publicly, but uh, they actually didn't name me that. I did. Uh, oh, wow. I picked that name uh, when I was about 20 years old. At the time, I was coming out as a gay man and kind of dealing with leading the pride group at uh, Stanford, awesome. where I was studying. And uh, my father and I were having disagreements about that at the time. <laughs> so he said he didn't want his name associated with such things. And I said, OK, we can fix that. So I renamed myself. So like any 20-year-old, I kind of researched my name and I was really inspired by that character. And so that's where the name came from.
0: I love it. That is, that's a, that's a true story of personal and social transformation. It's kind of a, a leading edge thing, Atticus. I mean, one of the things we focus here on the podcast is we look at digital transformation, social transformation, and personal transformation. Obviously, you have an esteemed background academically. You went to Stanford. How did you find your way into technology and what was sort of the career path?
2: Well, yeah, you know, that, that's maybe another interesting story. I, when I started out at Stanford, I was an English major, uh, pre-med. And I always wanted to be a physician. But uh, unfortunately, right about the same time when I changed my name, my sister was in a very bad car accident. And I spent a lot of time with physicians and most of them were not recommending going into medicine. It was, I think, a difficult time in the early 80s. And so I uh, had a bit of a career crisis because I had always wanted to be a physician. But I was doing a research, uh, I I took a a break from school and was doing a research assistant job at NASA. And I saw these guys over in the corner working on a PDP-11, looking like they were having a lot of fun. So I went and talked to them and they were doing Fortran and they were doing data analysis. And I thought that was pretty cool. So I found my calling and I went back to Stanford and switched majors to computer science and uh, and got a computer science degree and went into technology from there. And, you know, what I've always loved is the whole idea of applying technology toward our everyday lives. And that's what they were doing at NASA is, you know, researching the effects of weightlessness on, on our bodies.
0: I love that. Uh, yeah. NASA is the inspiration for a lot that's happened, but you spent some time also early in your career with Apple. Now... Were you there during a a Steve Jobs era or Scully era? Who was the leader at the time you were there?
2: I joined in uh, 87. Uh, It was my first job really out of college or as I was graduating. And Scully was the leader at the time. And then after Scully, I forgot it was um, a German guy. I forgot his name. But but anyway, Scully was the leader at the time. And uh, I was there for five years. And it was just an amazing place. Great great engineers, awesome products, really kind of instilled in me, I think, a love of design and design thinking, very formative place
0: to start my career. And so just taking that path forward, you've worked up in engineering, and ultimately, obviously, you now have an esteemed and and what would be a, a long career with Intuit. You've been there for how many years? Just past my 19th year. Oh, congratulations. Uh, so it's been a, been a long time. Thank you.
2: You know, at Intuit, I've had a whole bunch of different roles. I started out creating our intellectual property protection program. Prior to Intuit, I had been at a startup for eight years, and um, we uh, sold that company in 1999. And I took a year off and went up to northern Michigan and was a farmer for a little while. But when it was time to come back uh, to Silicon Valley, I decided I didn't want to be an engineer right away again. So I was doing our intellectual property protection. Uh, So that's what I started uh, at Intuit. And then did product management and then ultimately leading engineering teams in our small business group and moved over to IT and now have recently added uh, doing
1: security. So our listeners are going to have startups, you have entrepreneurs, you're going to have entrepreneurs. So let's talk about that for a second. Let's talk about climbing that corporate ladder, right? We're climbing that corporate ladder. What kind of stories can you give our audience about the best way to go about doing that?
2: Yeah. Th- what I always say, it, it's a great question. What I always say is Always do the best you can do at what you're doing right now. People will notice that. You will get energy from that. You will do a great job at that. So really love what you're doing right now and do the best you can at it. Yeah. When you run out of gas doing that, as eventually everybody does, you feel like you've learned what you need to learn. You feel like you've accomplished what you need to accomplish. Don't worry about that, but start looking around. Start seeing what maybe is interesting you next. What, what's a next challenge you want to have? and be open about that with your colleagues and say, hey, I'm, I'm loving what I'm doing, but I'm getting ready to do something else. And the nice thing, you know, as I mentioned earlier, at Intuit, 19 years, intellectual property, product management, engineering, IT, security, every time I've made one of those changes, it's because I've been having conversations already with people around the company that I'm ready to do something else. And it's one of the things I love about Intuit is I think we're a company of lifelong learners. We're always trying to do better Those are discussions that are okay to have. And I think a lot of people in their careers are maybe concerned about having discussions like that with their managers because they feel like their managers may think they're not going to be sticking around. But I've always found that having an open, frank discussion like that is helpful. That's my biggest advice career-wise is do what you're doing now, great. But when you're feeling like you're running out of gas on it, start looking. But do that openly and and have good conversations and, and get input.
0: Tell us more about culture, because you just said, uh, I think, a key word that everybody tries to describe, but it's a moving target maybe in these days and times. How much does Intuit and its culture affect the outcomes of the company outside of just, say, an individual who has a particular career track? What kind of difference does it make? And can you give us some examples? Yeah,
2: it's a great question. I I think culture is is so important. And and every company, every organization really does have its own unique culture. And I think that's an important thing for people to resonate with. Uh, And having been there 19 years, obviously, it's a culture that's resonated for me. I think one of the things that it starts with is our mission. You know, our mission is to power prosperity around the world, and that's a, a really important thing to wake up every day thinking about. And, and we get to do that through technology. We get to do that by, you know, creating a platform where people can you know solve their most important financial problems. And now we're really becoming a platform allowing people to work with experts on that, whether it's a tax advisor or a personal financial advisor or a small business advisor. So, the first thing is you know, have a great mission that really resonates and that you can galvanize people around. I think another part of the culture uh, at Intuit and that resonates for me is, as I said earlier, lifelong learning. You know, we're, we say we're always constructively dissatisfied with where we are today, which means, hey, we got here, we're happy, we're proud, but we can always do better. And so finding an environment where it's always trying to be better and it supports people who question the current status quo to your point mark about entrepreneurship we like to think of ourselves as a 36 year old startup where we really celebrate people who question the status quo who continue to kind of push forward and and wonder can we be better that's kind of what i would say about the the culture is one that's dynamic one that's growing one that really has an important mission but then the specifics are kind of unique to each culture
1: let's touch on that a little bit more right as we know this Pandemic kind of came in and just kind of hit everybody around the March timeframe. It kind of pushed everybody to work from home. So from a culture standpoint, right, it really tested, I'm sure, the ITs, your limits and what you guys can do, right? What were some surprises that you guys ran into when you kind of moved everybody remote? And then how did the IT department kind of handle that?
2: Great question, Mark. And hitting the culture thing first, you know, maintaining culture while we're all working from you know, different homes, you know, we have nine thousand people worldwide in the company. So now we have nine thousand locations and then some. And so trying to export our culture into all of those things, what it really did is made us ramp up the touch points where we have town halls with our CEO and our chief people officer. You know, I regularly have mm. coffee hours with my entire staff globally where everybody gets on a a video conference. And and frankly I always just start off with, how's it going? And then people just open up and start talking. And and some of these calls have been kind of light where people are telling jokes. Some of these calls are where people really get into struggles they're having. Some people who are living alone, this has been a very difficult time for. Uh, some people who are living with roommates, this has been a very difficult time for. And so everybody has their own challenges. And so I think one of the things about that culture is just how do we keep it going as we're working uh, in these multiple places. Now, though, as we look forward and think about eventually returning to a workplace and what that's going to look like, how do we shift our culture to embrace that? Because I don't know that for a lot of companies, we're ever going to go back to everybody's in the office five days a week. I think people have found the power of being able to work from home and not commute so many hours and not have that extra stress. And so, how do we shift to keep the culture, but also allow experimentation and how people want to work. So that's the culture piece. On the technology piece, at Intuit, luckily, we already had supported a lot of work from home. We had invested in technology to have the right security protocols on both bring-your-own-devices as well as corporate devices. We had invested a lot in video conferencing. We had a couple of solutions, so we could have backups and and resiliency. Uh, We've been investing in whiteboarding solutions. So, It was a relatively smooth transition for us to have the entire workforce working from home. Obviously, we had to scale up a lot of things that we already had, but it wasn't that difficult of a transition for us.
0: That sounds like you've, and maybe you're implying this in what you're saying, but you've also been able to preserve the sense of community because it sounds like you were asking people, listen, how do you feel? And obviously, you must have had a really strong community culture prior to COVID, just you know, any company, first of all, I did not realize how long Intuit had been in business. That's remarkable. But were you able to maintain or are you able to maintain a sense of community aside from we're connected now technically and yes, you can participate and, you know, I will talk with you, but but, what does that community look like now that it is in this different form?
2: I think we have, and it takes many different shapes. You know, we use Slack like many other people do, but any any messaging system can do this, you know, we have multiple channels now. That are allowing people to connect both around affinities, whether it's people who love scuba diving or people who love baking or, or, you know, people who have other things in common that they can share. So that's kind of keeping things going. But we're also doing things like our um, food service personnel, instead of now making lunch for everybody or making breakfast for everybody, they're doing cooking classes online. Uh, wow. and so we're keeping people connected even to our food service staff during this whole time so when we do go back we'll still have been seeing them and, and working with them so they're posting recipes and holding cooking classes one of the things we did is we opened up uh, one of our video conference sessions is Zoom and as you know if you have a personal license for Zoom sometimes there's limitations on it so right. we opened up our enterprise license for everybody to use for family gatherings and, oh, and wow. things like that and encourage people to use the technology that we're providing them for work to also keep their family lives going and that I think that's helping you know, just reinforce that as a company, we care for people, we care for their work-life balance. And, and we realize that now that work has kind of intruded into their home even more, we need to kind of make that at least have some
0: advantage. Did you submit any recipes yourself to the cooking box yeah.
2: <laughs> uh, No, because I don't really cook, so I, I don't think any of the recipes I have. But my recipes are put something in a microwave. And, I was gonna say,
0: you provided put, a microwave instruction. Here it is, here's my recipe. <laughs> I'm your chief technology yeah. officer, here it is. We're in a
1: time where it's very tumultuous, right? There's a lot going on. There's a lot of division happening around the country and each employee is gonna be different, right? So where does empathy play a role as a leader, especially like yourself?
2: It's a great question. And having empathy through a video conference is difficult. And so part of it starts with having a a deep relationship from prior to when we all went out and knowing many of these folks. But one of the things that did happen, I became the, the CISO in January, just before COVID. And so I've had to really develop my relationship with the whole security and fraud prevention community during this time of COVID, and it's been a challenge. I've had to really think of ways of connecting with individuals in the organization and being able to be available for open-ended discussions and questions. And As I'm trying to drive change in the organization, driving change when you don't really have the ability to get everybody together in a room and create a sense of being a single team is difficult. One of the things I've done is invested in working with some outside firms to help this transition and kind of observe our meetings and give feedback. I don't want to name specific vendors, but there's many of them out there. But we've brought some folks in who are starting to work with me on the change journey I'm driving on fraud prevention and cybersecurity, and to really give that community a clear set of objectives and goals so that they can align on to feel like one team. And so that's less about hub and spoke to me as the leader, and it's more about aligning to the mission. And then having this external group kind of observe our meetings and give us all feedback on how we're doing from a neutral standpoint.
0: To follow up on Mark's question, and this is not an obligatory question, but it does fit a framework. I know that you're on the TBM or Technology Business Management Council. Are there means and ways that you measure this? Because a number of of our listeners are technology managers, they're technology executives, and then ultimately in your position in, in the technology leadership position. Are there ways that you are measuring as you go along in this transformation?
2: There's a couple. I mean, we, we adopted uh, the TBM taxonomy four or five years ago now. Uh, as I, I've been the CIO now for seven or eight years. And so, about halfway through that, uh, we adopted TBM. And what that helped us do is kind of align all of our technology investments for how we run the company to clear capabilities. Uh, that we could then create service language around, create a service architecture around, and then engage with business partners in where we're investing and have those conversations. So what we measure are dollars in versus you know outcomes. And so right. g- given what we're investing in a particular service, whether that's a collaboration service for our global workforce, or it's a billing service, or it's a marketing technology, we can have pretty good conversations about if we invest these dollars, we expect these outcomes, both from technology standpoint for reliability or capabilities we're building, or just general overall cost of operating that technology. So we really do use that framework to have that conversation and and align with our business partners.
1: I'm sitting here and we're all sitting here. We're just seeing the struggle, right? The struggle of small businesses. Small businesses are the lifeblood of both Intuit and obviously the United States, right? That's a big thing. They're struggling. A lot of them are struggling. As we're kind of pushing through, you know, hopefully towards the end of this pandemic, are there any initiatives that you guys are excited about right now that are going to help support small businesses as they kind of push through this next stage?
2: Yeah, there are several. I mean, one is, you know, uh, with the, the, uh, the PPP program, the, the Payroll Protection Program, we uh, very quickly, to make that available through our software and our services to small business owners, and to enable them to take full advantage of the programs coming out of the federal government. We're also obviously trying to give them better insights in how they run their business and through you know comparing how they're doing versus other businesses in an anonymized way and allowing them to get a better sense of where they stand uh, and where they can improve and how they're operating their business. And then the other thing is, I think, really trying to connect small business owners with experts like accountants on our platform to get that expert human advice beyond just what the technology can do for them so they can make the best choices to work through this difficult time.
0: It sounds like, I mean, you've done a lot here in transforming your business internally. And as Mark is asking now, transforming it Externally, so that's sort of been, and if I'm misstating it, please correct me. But that's been some of your digital transformation as a result of COVID. But it, it seems like also you mentioned you uh, have taken on this CISO role in, in uh, a year ago. You've also had this personal professional growth, which is included the CISO role. Why is that important? That you are the CIO and the CISO, and how does that correct or affect positive outcomes? I think for
2: me you know, as the CIO, when I was just the CIO, I certainly understood the importance of security, and I understood the importance of investing in it and evolving and and making it a dynamic part of my investment strategy. Adding in the CISO role has really helped me understand better the strategic nature of security, that it's not just about defending, it's not just about investing in technologies to detect, but that it really is about predicting where things are going to be happening, following trends, building up the education across the technology community about adversaries and adversary management and how you can design in fraud prevention, how you can design in security, how you can think about it. We used to say you can't test quality in. but you can't test security in either. Uh, And it's kind of the same epiphany for me anyway, now in the CISO seat, is realizing you have to work way upstream and get people, get engineers, get product managers thinking about, you know, how you design a user experience flow could potentially be abused by bad actors or not, depending on how you design it. Uh, You know, when you add a financial institution into Mint or you add uh, into QuickBooks, that flow, how you do that, where you think about step-up authentication, et cetera, and how you balance the friction of what an end user is going to experience, and you want to let, you know, good actors have less friction, bad actors have more friction, designing that from a product and a user user back way uh, is vitally important. And and that's become really clear to me. And so now, as I'm running both the IT uh, portfolio and the security portfolio, trying to merge that across and really raise the level of how we think about security all the way back into design phases and planning phases, that to me is the power of having both of those seats.
1: We talk about trends, right? Let's hit on trends for a second here. And we know right now that anywhere you're seeing, you're seeing Bitcoin, you're seeing blockchain, you're seeing this is really kind of taking the next step, right? So when you look at it from a fintech perspective, in kind of your opinion or thoughts, where do you kind of see blockchain fitting into this segment? (laughs)
2: That's been the 64, you know, Bitcoin question for a long time. (laughs) Uh, You know, where is that going to fit? It is such an important technology. It's an important idea. I think as a technology, there's still a lot of struggle as to how to operationalize it in in an efficient way and in a way that doesn't consume too many resources and and isn't forced. You know, I I really think there's a ton of potential around financial transactions that need history, whether it's purchasing a particular item or uh, you know purchasing a house or inventory tracking. I, I think there's a lot of uses for it more in things like that than in pure you know replacing money. And so I think as, as a world, We need to move beyond thinking about Bitcoin as a currency so much and think more about blockchain as, you know, what does it do for us to trace provenance? What does it do for us to make, you know, thinking about vaccines, being able to track where a particular vial that's about to go into your arm, where has it been and what temperature has it been at? And being able to do that for multiple things is going to be much more important for blockchain than I think
0: currencies. So it's like a trust protocol. In other words, you could apply it to a supply chain or you could apply it to contracts or you could apply it to the edge of the network, if you will. And do you see your role as a CIO, a CISO now helping define more of these business strategies that, that Mark was just asking about and and sort of the the direction. Has that role is your role changed maybe during COVID or hopefully will be post-COVID?
2: I think it's continued on the path it, it already was on. You know, I, I think, you know, less you you've been a CIO and and I think Five, six years ago, the death of the CIO role was much talked about. Uh, I think we're past that. I think people have really realized now how vital the CIO is in an organization, whether it's a technology company or a a non-technology company. Everybody's becoming a technology company, and COVID has just accelerated that. And so I've seen my role really shift to being much more of a strategic partner to our businesses and being in the room when we're having early discussions about strategic choices for the business. And I've seen that you know, every CIO I talk to is having that same exact experience where they're you know, in the early ideation phase now, as opposed to being told, go do something.
0: I really like the way you're explaining these things and sort of the challenges and how you're handling them, particularly in this pandemic. One of the things our listeners are interested in from leaders like yourself are sort of what is the recommendation as they think about their roles, their position in their careers, even their lives, and what sort of recommendations might you give them now going forward? Like, In other words, if you had to give advice to your own staff about their career development, because you've had a very remarkable one, one based on merit, but also being deliberate in your thinking, what sort of advice would you give to our listeners about their careers and what they should be thinking on the next steps here in the COVID, post-COVID world?
2: I think the pandemic has created an opportunity. It's obviously been a very tragic situation, but it's created an opportunity for all of us to reassess what's important. My advice to anybody is to always know what's important to you. And what's important to you might be spending more time with your family. It might be spending more time with your dog. It might be spending more time learning a new craft. I think it starts there. And I think if you're going to have a fulfilled and happy career, it's really important to know what's important to you. There are so many choices that we could all make, and they're all good choices. It's important to know what the one for you is. And then it starts with creating opportunities for yourself to do more of what you enjoy and finding other people who enjoy those things. So if studying security and, and thinking strategically about how to secure things and thinking about adversary management or thinking about uh, how to you know handle security incidents is exciting to you, Great. There are lots of universities now which are starting online programs for degrees and courses. Check those out. Go to forums where you can learn and, and meet and talk to people. And I think, you know, we're gonna have to in, in a post-COVID world, which I hopefully we're nearing soon, we're gonna have to find new ways of connecting and interacting. But I do think it's given us the opportunity to really all of us think globally about who we interact and connect with. I think it's broadened each of our horizons that we can potentially do. And I, that's my encouragement for everybody is think beyond what you can see in front of you and really think globally and then find what you love and go after it.
0: And that mark sounds like personal zen which is why I spent all that time building that place in Utah which Atticus you're welcome to come to anytime it's a it's a zen retreat for innovative thinkers and technology leaders. So that's my own personal plug and promotion there. But uh, we're, we're we're getting towards the the end where we like to talk about a couple of uh personal things. And these are just questions that we throw out rapid fire. And we ask you just to answer whatever comes to your mind. First, favorite movie, uh, favorite superhero,
2: Dr. Manhattan. Oh,
1: wow. Okay. Favorite song.
2: The Joni Mitchell song. I don't know if I know the title, but I've looked at Clyde's clouds from both sides now. Oh
1: wow!
0: Um, I good. love that song. Yeah.
1: Okay. So we, now we have to ask you to sing a line of that song.
0: We need to have music in the background for him right now. Yeah. You don't have to do that.
2: No, but if you don't know that song, she did a version of it obviously when she was younger, but she did a second version much later in her career and listening to both of those and how her voice has evolved
0: it's a nice thing to do.
1: Okay, so part 2 for this, part 2 for this podcast if we ever do it, we're going to make you sing that song. That's right, you have
0: to come prepared. Karaoke style. I mean, we we we, okay. we will we'll have the karaoke version in the background ready for you to go. All right.
1: Only if
2: only if you sing your songs first. <laughs> okay.
0: All right. Fair <laughs> enough. All right. Favorite actor.
2: Oh, in silence of the lambs, who was the yeah. bad guy? Anthony Hopkins. Um, Anthony
0: Hopkins. Thank you. <laughs> Good God. I was going to say Harrison Ford and get it all screwed up. That would have <laughs> really movie. not worked.
1: One thing our followers should do or think about within the next six months,
0: I would say two things. One,
2: focus on what you can be thankful for because all of us have something we can be thankful for in the other. And it's related is focus on something you can do for somebody else. I like uh, as we all emerge from where we've been hiding out the last year uh, and we start to reconnect as human beings in person, uh, reach across and find something you can do for somebody else.
1: Thank you so much. All right. That's been the net effects podcast where you learn and listen to great technology leaders and how you can take advantage of the digital network world around us. Atticus, thank you so much for coming on the program today. We're super grateful for having you. This was awesome. And thank you again so much.
0: Atticus, the best. Thank you very much. Welcome back. Thank you. To Anytime. Thank you. Be well.